Diet is huge. As you know, a lot of chronic health conditions that lead to chronic kidney disease in general can be modified by diet. That in and of itself makes diet a huge issue in kidney disease. Well, I know that a lot of people think, oh, I cannot consume a banana, a tomato, because they're high in potassium. But perhaps you can use some culinary techniques or just work with a portion size. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Nephron segment, where nephrology is always concentrated, sometimes convoluted, never dilute. Join a group of nephrons as we try to push the boundaries of kidney medicine. Today, we'll be discussing the role of diet and kidney health. I am Sam Kant, a transplant nephrologist at Johns Hopkins. I'm Samira Farouk, a transplant nephrologist at Mount Sinai in New York City. I'm Matt Sparks, a nephrologist at Duke University. And I'm Ellie Mannon, a MD-PhD student at the Medical College of Georgia at Augusta University. And joining us today, we have Crystal Tyson, as well as Annabelle Biruete. I'm Crystal Tyson. I am an adult nephrologist and hypertension specialist at Duke University Medical Center, and I conduct clinical research investigating lifestyle strategies, particularly diet, to slow the progression of kidney disease and control hypertension. My name is Annabelle Viruete. I am a registered dietitian and an assistant professor in the Department of Nutrition Science at Purdue University, and I study the role of diet and pharmacological therapies in the gastrointestinal tract in chronic kidney disease using animal models of chronic kidney disease as well as in people with kidney disease. Thank you to both of you for being here. But let me start off with a broad question, a question that we are starting to discuss a lot more in nephrology. How important is diet in kidney health? Diet is huge. As you know, a lot of chronic health conditions that lead to chronic kidney disease in general can be modified by diet. If you look at hypertension and diabetes, you know, that's largely diet driven. And so that in and of itself makes diet a huge issue in kidney disease. And we're also learning that diet can impact the progression of kidney disease as well. And so it's a huge deal. I may be biased just because, I mean, I'm a dietitian, but <laughs> of course, I think that diet it plays a huge role in the development and progression of chronic kidney disease. And one of the marvelous things is also that it leads to either poor outcomes or better outcomes. So definitely has a role in chronic kidney disease. Both of you have um, dedicated your careers to studying diet in different ways and would love to hear from both of you how you got interested in this work. Was there something that inspired you? If you could tell us a little bit about your journey. So in nephrology, I've always been interested in trying to find ways to empower patients by giving them the tools to, to help you know, control some of their, their risk factors. And diet is a huge part of that. Um, and so that's what drew me to this area. And the other issue is just kind of when I'm seeing patients in clinic, I kind of got tired of looking at the frustrated faces of patients when I'm telling them to modify their diet by getting rid of the fruits and vegetables and things like that, that they know, and I know that they should be eating, but sitting there with a straight face and telling them that they need to cut some of that stuff out because of metabolic derangements that they may be experiencing um, because of the advanced nature of their kidney disease. Um, and so I felt started feeling silly having that conversation with patients. And that's what kind of spearheaded me into trying to figure out if we're giving the right advice to patients when we're telling them things like that and just investigating it further. Yeah, I think for me it was, uh, so I started, I was a clinical dietitian and I had the opportunity of doing a very small pilot study in incident PD patients. 
And I, we were giving a mixed bag with amino acids and dextrose. And I saw like the acute effects of kidney disease. And I think my love for kidney disease started progressing uh, because I saw the need of and the impact of nutritional treatment in people with kidney disease. Then serendipitously, I ended up with my advisor at Illinois, who only studied kidney disease. So I went full in and I continued in this area. I was really driven to the area. And more recently, um, fortunately, my grandfather developed kidney failure and was undergoing hemodialysis. So it's more of a I need to help this patient population because I can clearly see the effects of nutrition in their progression, in the development, and in just the treatment and better quality of life. When each of you has experience, you know, broaching this topic with patients, right? What, how do you lead into that conversation, right? Sort of highlighting the impact that diet can have on kidney health. Some issue is that, you know, a lot of times as a clinician, you're distracted by so many other things that are going on with the patient. You know, they may have uncontrolled blood pressure. Um, they may, you know, have other um, CKD-related comorbidities such as acidosis and things like that that you're, you know, trying to address during the clinic visit. So a lot of times diet, you know, trying to discuss diet is difficult to get to that point. Um, but my approach to discussing diet is trying to make it a part of the discussion, at least, you know, every time I come in contact with patients and, and you know, just remind them, you know, your diet can affect your blood pressure. Your diet can help basically um, contribute to some of the side effects that you might be experiencing from having kidney disease in the first place. I like to try to identify one thing that they think they could potentially work on to help improve their diet and set a goal to work on one aspect um, at the end of their, their session. If I'm changing a medication, um, usually that's something that's done towards the end of the visit. I make it a goal to also kind of set a dietary goal for each patient that I see as well. And if, yeah, if I'm not like proactive about doing it or conscious about it, it doesn't happen. So I think uh, one of the details that they mentioned is talk to the patient and learning what the patient needs as the patient, what they need. Because a lot of times they come, for example, to nutrition services and we're just starting telling them all of these things, protein, phosphorus, uh, potassium, sodium, fruits and vegetables, and all of that. So really trying to get one goal, but a goal that we believe that the patient can perform and that is motivated to do because if we're just trying to do all of the things at the same time, I don't think, I mean, we're sending them for failure. So trying to help them and probably one goal at a time, one or two at the most. I'm going to go back to the controversy that Crystal mentioned earlier about potassium can you talk more about this and where we are at the science? And I think that's one of the frustrations as well for all of us is that we see these good foods and oftentimes we're saying don't eat it. Where are we with potassium and CKD? Yeah, so I think we're still kind of stuck with like opinion-based recommendations when it comes to potassium management in general and then when it comes to diet. And so we're kind of drawing on kind of like theoretically, it makes sense that if your, if your patient has high serum potassium levels to advise them to limit their potassium intake. But what we don't know is whether, you know, one, limiting your potassium intake plays a role in their potassium being high in the first place. And so I think where we are with the science is kind of testing that 
the issue is we don't have a lot of dietary studies or even potassium supplement studies in patients with advanced CKD or with CKD in general, but particularly in advanced CKD to help guide us. So we're kind of stuck with what we're comfortable with advising patients. And unfortunately, diet because it's something that we can, it's more tangible, we can actually give patient advice on. Before, we didn't have the potassium binders or anything like that. And so that was one thing that we felt as clinicians we could manipulate, you know, in terms of helping control serum potassium. So when it comes to the research, you know, studies are still being conducted or in more and more studies, thank goodness, are being conducted to try to determine whether or not one, dietary potassium impacts serum potassium and whether or not, you know, Put dietary potassium intake is associated with cardiovascular events and outcomes. And so there's a lot of opinion-based guidelines that we're, we're using when it comes to managing potassium and CKD. And studies, uh, thank goodness, are on the horizon to help investigate whether or not, uh, basically what, what advice we should be giving patients. So we learned in fellowship that high potassium foods can improve the blood pressure. Does that effect go away in patients that have CKD? I feel that We talk about it until their potassium gets to some threshold, and then it's the opposite advice, restrict your potassium. So we know in a general population that increase your potassium intake can lower your blood pressure. But in patients with CKD, I don't think we're just not there yet with the science. There was a study by Turbin who investigated a high versus low potassium diet in patients with CKD stage three. And that study... It didn't demonstrate that it had an effect of improving blood pressure. They're comparing, I believe it was like 100 millimoles of potassium daily versus, if I'm not mistaken, 50 millimoles, something like that. And there wasn't any blood pressure benefit. And I believe like six patients experienced hyperkalemia during the course of the study. But again, it was a small study, like about 25 patients or so. If I may add, it is hard um, to do conduct those, those studies. And a lot of our recommendations, unfortunately, come from opinion-based. Little by little, like the mind shift is it's changing. But I also don't think that we have plenty of data on the other end. Slowly, it's coming. One of the things that has probably, at least in nutrition, is that a lot of things make sense. So if we cannot excrete potassium, we should be restricting potassium. Unfortunately, with our patients, we have seen the opposite effect because we know that these potassium-rich foods are also rich in other, other nutrients, and that has led to patients consuming less vitamins and minerals, less dietary fiber, being more constipated. And when there's more constipation, there's also a higher risk of hyperkalemia. So we indirectly were giving kind of like the side effect So hopefully, little by little, we're changing that again. Protein is another area that I find very challenging to talk about. I think because you have to change your recommendation by the stage and whether or not you have a kidney transplant. Can you talk more about that? Yes. So like you mentioned, dietary protein, it's modulated um, depending on the stage of kidney disease. The current recommendations given by Kadoki, the National Kidney Foundation, is that if you are pre-dialysis, so stage 3 to stage 5, if you don't have diabetes, the recommendation is 0.55 to 0.6 grams per kilo per day or a very low protein diet, which is more like 0.3 grams per kilo per day supplemented with alpha keto acids, which are not as readily available in the U.S. as in other countries. 
once you transition to dialysis, the recommendation is now 1 to 1.2 grams per kilo per day if you are in hemodialysis or peritoneal dialysis. And then once you have a kidney transplant, it goes more to the 1, if you recover, more of this 1 gram per kilo per day. So I think a lot of the controversy has been on the low-protein diets on pre-dialysis people. And that is because there was several studies, the MDRD study, which they were giving the point, I think I believe the 0.55 grams per kilo per day. There is a lot of controversy because if low protein diets are not implemented with the help of a dietitian and are not adequate on um, energy, they are likely to lead to malnutrition, protein energy wasting, which is already a a problem in people with kidney disease. But if implemented correctly, I think they can be uh, very successful in slowing the progression of kidney disease and slowing particularly the transition to dialysis. The problem is that we don't have a lot of people training them. So if you just say, oh, follow a low protein diet, it's likely not going to work. Can you give us some practical tips on some of these numbers you gave and, and how you tell a patient what that means? Of course. So one of the things is that a lot of the higher protein foods are usually animal-based foods. So usually we start lowering the amount of animal-based foods in each meal. In the United States and a lot of the Western countries, we tend to have the main part of our meal, the protein base, so a meat or chicken or something like that. So we start trying to shift how we think about our foods and concentrating more on other foods that do not contain a lot of protein, which may be more grains, vegetables, etc., which the content per gram, it's usually lower. So we start changing our mind from just like a protein-focused, animal-focused to a more plant-based foods. And usually that is one of the easiest way. For example, so instead of thinking about three ounces of chicken, maybe doing a soup in which the condiment is kind of like just the animal protein. Um, so that is one of the easiest way. Annabelle, um, you mentioned a certain number of ounces. Do you have any way that you help patients understand how to estimate that if they don't understand just by looking at a piece of meat, how many ounces it is? So usually uh, we try to use things that people have available in their house or attached to their bodies. Usually the palm of your hand, it's about if you're having, for example, a piece of chicken or a piece of steak, it's usually the palm of your hand that counts as three ounces. So when we are recommending a lower protein, we usually can say like a third of your palm and using things like shredded instead of just like a whole piece of the of the steak or the piece of chicken or all of that. Depending on the food, obviously it's gonna depend the, the amount but it's usually um, trying to use like a golf ball or something like that for other, um, we use things that are just simple. If their patient is consuming animal-based foods, one of the simplest way in order to reduce the amount of protein intake is just shredding instead of doing the whole piece of meat. As a transplant nephrologist, one of the challenges that I face fairly often is the dynamic changes in the diet recommendations. And so when patients are diagnosed with early CKD, they're given one set of recommendations that changes as they may approach dialysis. And then overnight that changes again um, after they receive a kidney transplant that's working well. I was wondering how will either of you address that challenge? Yeah. So I personally let their labs guide me 
And so I never, you know, advise the patients not to eat a diet that's high in fruits and vegetables or whole grains or anything like that that would give them phosphorus. And again, the fruits and vegetables that would give them potassium typically until their labs suggest that that advice may be needed. And even then, it would be helpful to kind of get a dietary assessment because maybe they're not eating a lot of potassium in the first place. So number one is reviewing their medications and things like that to see if there's anything that you can modify so that they can continue to eat a liberal diet. And giving advice to start cutting dietary sources of potassium or phosphorus only comes when I see that they are eating I can pinpoint a source that might be giving them a lot of potassium or for sure inorganic phosphorus. And then I I give that advice. You know, Crystal, just to build off that quickly, you know, in these situations, are there any barriers that you sort of picked up on that patients face in particular when trying to access these recommended kidney friendly foods? And how do you go about trying to maybe even adjust recommendations based on that or help them gain access? So I am currently conducting a diet counseling study for African-Americans with CKD. And before we started the study, we did focus groups to try to identify what they felt would be barriers to eating a healthful diet. And things that came out of the focus group, one was just knowledge when it comes to diet, not knowing what they should eat and what constitutes a healthy meal. And then once you give them that information, they had concerns about food spoiling. You know, if I buy fresh fruit, fresh groceries and things like that, fresh fruits, vegetables, a lot of times it grows bad before I'm able to eat it. So giving them practical advice on how to eat a healthy diet, even when you can't get access to fresh produce, is something that can help overcome some of the barriers that they face. Other barriers would be how to determine portion sizes. And I think you already touched on that. So that can be very confusing. And patients said, you know, I don't have a scale at home or I don't have measuring utensils to estimate serving sizes. And so I agree using your hand as a way to estimate serving sizes was something that also could help them overcome barriers. Annabelle, I know that we also just talked about portion sizes, but if there's anything else that you've noticed too in your work with these individuals. We are telling people to move away from consuming, for example, processed foods because they contain a higher amount of sodium, maybe potassium additives, and maybe phosphorus additives. And that would lead them to cook more at home. However, we really don't know if patients may be having access to a kitchen or a refrigerator or a freezer and all of that. So trying to to see if the patient can actually complete the recommendations that we're giving. Another thing is that, for example, recommend produce that is seasonal so they can consume it. Another thing that I've seen too is that sometimes we say all of these fruits and vegetables and perhaps they have had an aversion in the past or they don't like it. So just work with them into what types of fruits and vegetables and fresh produce they may be consuming. Another option, if they have the ability to have a refrigerator or a freezer, frozen fruits and vegetables are also a great option because they can just keep it there maybe do a soup or maybe do a smoothie or something like that. So it's readily available. So just work with them and what options are best. And also, if they have not consumed a lot of these fresh fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, etc., just make them try or not make them, but recommend them trying uh, consuming these because they may be uh, surprised and they may be enjoying these foods as well. 
What are your favorite resources to help patients find kidney health friendly foods? Um, to me, it could be um, recipes that are available. There is a lot of resources that have been made by other renal dietitians that may be um, good options. I actually think that they don't have to be specifically kidney friendly. So it's just in a lot of these things, it's just working through the portions, particularly if we know that a specific food is really high in potassium and we're a little bit concerned. So working regarding portion sizes with them. So for example, I know that a lot of people think like, oh, I cannot consume a banana. I cannot consume a tomato because they're high in potassium. But perhaps you can do use some culinary techniques or just work with a portion size. And this the, the people or patients can have these, these foods on a, on a daily basis or continuous basis. I want to add to that. I just recently, well, actually a couple of months ago, came across the Kidney Kitchen. It's um, a website with, by the American Kidney Fund, and they actually break down the different micronutrients. So they go over potassium, phosphorus, they go over protein, and you can select uh, from the menu um, eating for your stage of kidney disease. And so I thought that was something that I, I've started um, referring my patients to. For example, if you click on potassium as micronutrient, they'll give you a list of high potassium, moderate potassium, and low potassium foods. They do the same thing for phosphorus, and then they have recipes to help eat healthy meals. I completely forgot about it, and I am part of this, and I've been working with the International Society of Renal Nutrition and Metabolism, and they actually also, very similarly, it's an international effort, and they developed a world kidney recipe, I believe it's called. It's not as sophisticated as the kidney kitchen, but there is a lot of different recipes from all places in the world. And the recipes have a description if they are intended for a patient that is pre-dialysis or a patient that is on dialysis. So they have different amounts of protein in particular. So that is another resource that is readily available and it's freely available to patients. So that is also just to International Society of Renal Nutrition and Metabolism. I was going to give a shout out to Blake Schusterman, the cooking doc, who has partnered with uh, Kidney Kitchen, has great videos. He's also a nephrologist that helps teach people how to cook. And I've always been impressed with his videos. The National Kidney Foundation also has a lot of great information on their website for patients. So there are a lot of resources out there. I want to add, and I guess Annabelle, you can comment on that. So, um, you know, working with this um, diet counseling group, where basically we're trying to counsel patients on following a DASH dietary pattern and we're monitoring their potassium and phosphorus and things like that and seeing if it improves blood pressure. A few observations I've noticed um, with a dietitian who's been counseling them is one mantra is no food is bad food. It's just trying to figure out how to fit certain things into your into your diet. So I, I don't think I've ever heard a dietitian really say, you can't eat this. It's more so a matter of if you want to eat it, how are you going to compensate in other areas so to allow it to fit for you? Um, and then the other thing is when it comes to, for example, foods that are high in potassium or low in potassium, restricting high potassium foods. Basically, a patient can eat a small amount of high potassium food or a large amount of low potassium food and still end up in the same position. And so... Um, just giving them 
kind of like the information so that they know the potassium contents of different foods so that they know not to overindulge in certain areas. That's important for patients to know to make that distinction. I really love that you said that. Um, I feel that many patients, there's one or two foods in particular where they just feel like it's totally destroying their quality of life. And we may not even know if we're not asking the right questions. I've had patients who are, you know, bananas are their favorite thing. And that's often the first thing that they're limited at rather than saying, you know, you can have a small piece of one and maybe don't eat that together with, as you're saying, other high potassium foods. And I think just saying that certain foods are okay in moderation can really be quality of life changing. Yeah, I think that the role as a dietitian is really to empower patients um, to have control over what some of the things, some of the behaviors that they do or have may have an effect. And I I completely agree. I am on the side of like, no food is bad food. I mean, it's just like how you eat it, when you eat it, and all of that. And like, something that is funny to me, too, is that we tend to focus a lot on fruits, vegetables, and plant-based foods in general. However, a lot of the animal-based foods also contain potassium in pretty similar amounts to some of the high potassium fruits and vegetables. But we don't think in restricting a lot of these foods, at least in terms of the potassium, but they may be having a similar effect on management of potassium in general. And as a clinician, I just want to share really quickly that another kind of frustration is actually getting patients to have the opportunity to sit in front of a dietitian. We have issues with reimbursement to whereas we can't get a patient to see a dietitian. For example, Medicare only covers, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, so patients who have CKD or non-dialysis-dependent CKD, they cover three hours of dietitian counseling by a registered dietitian in the first year and two hours each subsequent year. So three hours the first year, two hours each subsequent year, that's nothing. Um, It takes that long to try to figure out what the patient is eating, let alone trying to give them advice and then coach them to practically eat a better diet. And so that's another issue that we need to to work on. Yeah, I'm going to mention two things. So one, we don't have enough time with the patients, not covered. And two, we also don't have enough referrals. Well, actually, I'm going to add a, a third one. We don't have enough trained dietitians in chronic kidney disease to be able to see all of the patients, particularly if we're focusing more on a pre-dialysis. So I think there has to be a systematic approach in order to train more dietitians in kidney disease, two, to continue reimbursement or improve reimbursement, because I believe actually now the reimbursement, even though the hours are the same, the reimbursement money is going down. And third is just like, refer the dietitians, please, to the, to the renal dietitians. Question about plant-based diet. And I think it's called Plato, plant-dominant low-protein diet. Can either of you explain more about what this is? Yeah, so I think it's the Plato diet is putting a catchy name on a plant-based diet for kidney disease. So really it's just uh, encouraging the consumption of more plant-based foods and it's usually a lower protein diet, so this is intended for a pre-dialysis stage in order to slow the progression of chronic kidney disease. There's this really strong movement to encourage plant-based diets in people with kidney disease because of several benefits. One is because it's a lower acid load. They contain a higher amount of dietary fiber, which is good for patients that have constipation and gut health in general. 
also in terms of phosphorus, there is a lower phosphorus by accessibility, which means that the foods may be containing a similar amount of phosphorus, but it's not readily available for absorption. So that may be a benefit for people with kidney disease in order to prevent or treat chronic kidney disease, mineral and bone disorder. And it just allows a higher consumption of food groups instead of being more um, restrictive on the plant-based foods. It's very hard to do randomized clinical trials. How do you wrap your head around the fact that some of the studies aren't done, but yet we're, we talked about it earlier, but we're giving advice about it? Any thoughts about that? I guess we're using what we know, and it just suggests that we do need more studies to help provide guidance. When you don't know, you go by what you think is theoretically appropriate. I guess long story short is we need to do more studies so that we can help give evidence-based advice when it comes to diet management. Because if not, we, we are left to just advising what we think works, and we don't know if it really works. We're moving from like opinion to opinion. So I think even, I mean, sometimes, I mean, we believe that we need these very strict randomized clinical trials, but I do believe that some sort of pragmatic trial in which there is an increase in the consumption of plant-based foods may be adequate just to test the feasibility and also the safety of these dietary patterns and um, just also measure outcomes that are that matter to the nephrology community like heart outcomes that's perfect but also patient-centered outcomes because I mean we're doing all of these studies without the input of patients and we're moving from diet to diet and we're just like thinking oh I don't like a low protein diet oh I want a a plant-based diet but also having the input of patients because at the end of the day these are going to be they are going to be the ones following these dietary patterns that we are recommending there is fortunately some clinical trials already on the way, and they're using more of a pragmatic approach, um, increasing the consumption of these plant-based foods. I know that there's one in the Karolinska Institute by Dr. Carla Avesani. They're giving a box of fruits, vegetables, and plant-based foods in general, not only for the patient, but also for the family in tandem with these potassium binders. I know that Dr. Cruz is also doing one in which they gave fruits, vegetables, nuts, and legumes for people with chronic kidney disease. And I believe that they presented nice results at Kidney Week. I was not there, but I I heard through Twitter or I read through Twitter. So I think um, there's definitely studies coming up. The other thing is that the studies, unfortunately, are short term, so it's really hard to do a longer term study, but we have to do step by step, but we need to start building up the evidence for all of these recommendations. We like to ask our guests to share one thing that brings you joy outside of your work. I have a two-year-old, and I hope you didn't hear her, well, you heard her a little bit earlier, um, bouncing around in the background. So she's bringing a lot of joy, especially as her vocabulary expands and her skills uh, kind of, you know, soar. And so that's my joy right now. So for me is we're expecting our first child, but also we have our first dog who is five years old and she, her name is Callie, which comes from Callium which is potassium in Latin. So we're big nutrition nerds. <laughs> so uh, she brings us a lot of joy. She is just a great puppy. And uh, it's just really nice to come home after work and have her cuddling with us. So that brings me a lot of joy. 
Well, thank you, Annabelle and Crystal, for being on this episode of Nefron Segment. I think the listeners are really going to benefit from your insights, especially in a subject that is not as discussed as much as we should be. Big thank you to our listeners as well. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Nephron Segment, where nephrology is always concentrated, sometimes convoluted, never diluted. Thank you.